0: Hey everybody. Welcome to the Convergence podcast. The Convergence is a space designed for university students, college students and young adults to explore and deepen their faith. This is a space to think, question, doubt, and hopefully, ultimately, to worship. We are so glad you're here. So, this is a follow up conversation to Bob's talk on the mission of Jesus and the internal aspects of the mission of Jesus. And Kelly Johnson and Bob had a wonderful conversation with questions from people who were there and people who were online. And so, without further ado, here is the follow-up conversation to The Mission of Jesus, part one, where Bob talks about the internal aspects of mission.
1: Bob, you know, we've had some heavy things going on, but uh, you've uh, you've really helped us out in the last uh, couple of weeks, especially as we uh, explored this whole mission of Jesus. Do you want to give us a little summary on uh where you saw things kind of
2: well uh starting to address the group on the mission of jesus and then i jumped in so i thought i would just uh do it in my own bob way (laughs) Um, but i'm always interested in how the doing is related to the being and you know i've been fascinated actually to take the incarnation seriously that the three years of jesus public ministry are preceded by 30 Hmm years of silence and privacy, and I've always taken that very seriously, that uh, that we see Jesus burst on the scene at his baptism, and this is how the Gospels tell the story, but they but they do take seriously the preparation of Jesus, and that is deeply part of the mission. So uh, when Jesus comes forward for his baptism, and then he's led into the wilderness to be tested, um, the testing is the proving of the 30 years of preparation. And then as he passes the test, he proceeds in Luke's gospel. It says he returns in the power of the spirit. Mm. He's, he, he, he is empowered because of the preparation and because of the, the gift of the spirit and because of the passing of the test now to enter into his full messianic mission. Mm. But all of that is not simply out of nowhere. Right. It comes out of somewhere. It comes out of, the years of silence and preparation. Um, and I don't think mission makes any sense when we're rushing and, you know, that it, it was sort of brought to us in years past, you know, that ready fire aim metaphor, you know, we are very quick to act and do, um, and we must act and do, in fact, that's the completion of the task, but the ready and aim part <laughs> is also part of the, the missional task. So I, I guess maybe part of this was how much I was influenced by my studies in, in uh, Ignatian spirituality, Ignatius of Loyola, and uh, and that whole tradition would often talk about contemplatives in action. So the people who had made such an impact on the world um, that were regularly referenced to, you know, you could talk about the Mother Teresa's or or whoever uh, who were active in public voices had this real contemplative part of them that had prepared them to understand their own personal vocation, how God had placed them in the world, where God was specifically calling them uh, and in what way and how. And so the contemplative action is the, the sense we could say that's the interior or the heart or the basis or the foundation out of which then the meaningful action takes place. So, I mean, there's just so many ways this works. You know, we we take in a breath in order to exhale it in a meaningful word. Um, The the rhythm of being and becoming and then doing and acting out of who we are, uh, I think, is not understood enough. And so I'm always interested in those two halves of it. So I just thought I would bring that to the table. Uh, and I, you know, Phil will bring, uh, the second part, uh, which I think will be the good completion because we must do an act and speak, Mm -hmm. uh, that would be an aborted mission if we don't, Mm -hmm. um, but then we can rush too quickly to that without the necessarily preparation interior work.
1: Yeah. Could you speak a little bit more to that? I think because Jesus seemed to have a pretty good self-understanding, even at 12 years of age, he had to be about his father's business in some ways. And yet, yeah, it's another 18 years.
2: Isn't that something?
1: And, uh, and so we're speaking, you know, to young people yeah. who often say, oh, I have a call to, uh, you know, I thought I'd go in some little small corner of the world and serve in an orphanage or something. And yet then uh, it seemed like, okay, God was needing to do some other preparatory work in me. Um, but can you speak to that yeah. whole need for patience?
2: Isn't that something, though? Jesus, yeah. uh, really, he astounds the teachers. In Jerusalem when he's 12. So that would have been his, you know, around his bar mitzvah, he's coming into his manhood. He has that, uh, that indication in the scriptural story that he understands something of who he is and what he's about. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, and I was a youth pastor at age 23. So I was ahead of Jesus seven years. (laughs) I preached my first sermon when I was 23. Jesus does not launch until he's 30, which in that world was really quite, full of years. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a life expectancy of who knows what it was then, Mm -hmm. let's say mid forties or something. Uh, so Jesus was seasoned, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: he would have, he would have, uh, he would have gained his voice through long and steady reflection. And then when he finally came public to Israel, Mm -hmm. he was ready in the fullest sense of that. So I think, um, you know, our urgencies, uh, matter but i I think proper preparation and 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 you know actually being in step with the spirit as paul talks about that in galatians keep in step with the spirit is really uh the thing that i find myself saying often to young people is do your work now (laughs) Mm -hmm. study learn develop your character Mm -hmm. um you know live well live strong develop your personal life develop your habits you know, as, as um, is it the Proverbs, no, it's the song of song songs. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Um, oftentimes, it can be habits that are built into our life or patterns of thinking early on that can trip us up in our missional life. Um, so I do think the inner life is the source of the outer action. So
1: how do we get uh, encourage young people to to do that um recognition i guess first of all that those little habits and practices um well first of all the mess
2: the first of all the message has to be i mean we i think in our evangelical charismatic world we often talk about action Mm. and we celebrate observable features of christian life Mm. um so we do this in so many ways what can be seen is celebrated Mm. Mm. um and we almost always are reinforcing the scene. Um, and so it's messaging that matters. Uh, and, then, and then it's showing people how and giving validation to that. You know, we have to give validation to introverted and quiet behaviors. <laughs> we have to give validation to the quiet and the silence and the hidden uh, and talk about that. But almost all of our religious life is activity. And, uh, and showing up and, and, and I believe in that, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about the rhythm, right? And so he had a little book called life together. And he talked about the day alone and the day together. And in that community, they had this rhythm of apart and together. And I think that's that rhythmic nature. If, if we only feel our life with God, when we're together, then we're missing something. But we, but but it's not uh, a life that's entirely separate. It's a rhythmic life of apart and together and apart together. And Bonhoeffer said, he who uh, cannot be alone, <laughs> don't let him be with anybody. Uh, and he who's always, you know, can't be together, don't let him. Something like that. Uh, so it has to be that rhythmic back and forth. And it's really the silence and the quiet and, and the inner life. Uh, that people have to be led into. And that's not a question of introversion, extroversion. That's a question of inner and outer, right? Well, and those things will be
1: revealed eventually if, if the yeah. inner life is Oh, developed. absolutely.
2: So. And this is the time, this is the season when those things are as, as you mentioned last time, yeah. the,
1: the foundations have been shaking. Yes. So. Yeah. Logan.
3: Um, what does preparation and contemplation entail? Um, and does it exclude active participation? Um, like when do you know when you're actually supposed to start serving? Um, and how do we know maybe, um, when that time is, or, um, yeah, I don't know. What does the process of preparation require?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's no formula here. I I know that I was youth pastor. I jumped into service and I was just active going all the time. And I realized I, I hadn't had the proper grounding and I went back to school and I soaked it up like a sponge. And then I came back into ministry. Um, I think there are seasons of our lives. And and, uh, I think activity for me was incredibly necessary early on to be involved in the church and to serve in the church. But in some ways I realized what I needed and what I didn't have and what I needed to know. And I realized that I, I needed along with the active life, I needed the interior life and I didn't know what I needed until I got active. So, I don't know. There's no formula. It's just a recognition that you need both the outward activity and action and the inward life. And, you know, this is where people in ministry realize this. They get active and they also all of a sudden realize, oh, my goodness, I have no inner life. I have no prayer life. I have no sense of the word of God in me. I have no sense of what God is saying or doing. Um, And they wake up to that poverty. (laughs) I don't know what to say about it, except you realize you need it. And then you start chasing it down. Yeah.
1: Our 4-inch motto is learn to do by doing. So yeah. There's that aspect of, okay. Uh, our students or people wanting to get involved. Okay. Give them uh, some opportunity to kind of give out. And then you realize that, okay, we need to actually.
2: Yeah. And uh, I want to say in that
1: deeper as a teacher, right, yes. If you're trying to teach something. You have to, you better learn it even more. Or maybe you learn it even more than the ones you're trying to teach.
2: Yes and there there are very practical things about developing an interior life so so I teach this I teach spiritual formation and it's a very practical and pragmatic understanding there are exercises there are disciplines there are habits Um, and so it's just a world that almost people have to they probably have to read a book or or have some teaching just to be introduced to the full gamut of how we can live into an interior life. Um, and it's well-traveled ground. So there's lots there. I mean, if, if a student wanted to talk to me about this, I'd be happy to, you know, they can make an appointment on a Monday and have a conversation, and they'd be happy to do that. So often it takes some initiative on your part. And you say, you know, I want to pursue that. Um, and But it's there f- for everyone.
3: So you spoke about, um, how we take control, um, of like the freedom space that we have in our hearts, um, where in between the thing that happens to us and how our heart responds to us. Um, and I feel like oftentimes we're very passive, um, with that place. Like we just don't even realize we have control. So it comes and it affects us and yeah. we let it affect us. But how do we take control of that? Um, yeah, I don't know, spe- like that space of freedom where, um, we've been given freedom as Christians to, have our, I don't know, have our will there, um, but how do we how do we take control of that? And how do we actually react to things in a way that is productive and will lead to life?
4: Yeah,
2: well, <laughs> the first thing is just acknowledging that uh, this is uh, a reality that we need to deal with, right? Um, I don't think there's much thought and I think there's a lot of confusion. The reason I started going there that night was because I thought, what are the big issues that are happening right now? And I, and I, I was considering the, the, the cry. I mean, this was in the middle of the trucker convoy when we were doing that and the cry is freedom, right? And the other sensibility is, Hey, there's something wrong. There's some hidden forces in the world. And I was thinking those two things are sort of two really big ideas right now, the cry for freedom, which we don't understand. And then the sense that something's hidden from us. Some forces are at play that we don't understand. And so I tried to talk about those two things. But just going to the freedom space, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I just use that idea that, you know, when someone says, you make me mad, or um, I just find that a, a fascinating thing about myself. What triggers me? What, what sets off my reactions? And do I have any other choice of being other than the one I tend to default toward? That's an interesting question, right? Do I have a freedom of going different ways here? So I, so I tried to bring out the idea that if Jesus did mad, how did he do mad? (laughs) And, And that's a fascinating thing. How might mad look like if you were a free being with a moral center instead of merely reactionary? I think that requires some thoughtfulness. I think it requires, uh, so, you know, we talk about in, in, in the scripture talks about the fruit of the spirit. One of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Uh, if, if we understand all of a sudden we have a freedom, an interior freedom that's spiritually based, what is the best way for me to react to this thing that upsets me or confuses me or depresses me? What's, what's my freedom here? Uh, how, what would be the wise action and the wise way to be? rather than merely think I'm an automatic response to that, right? Um, I think that awareness is really interesting. And then the strategic way, how do I strategically then move in the world? If these forces are at play, what's the best way for me to be? What's the wisest way? Um, And I've been thinking a lot about this because, you know, there's a lot of contention in our, in our present moment about different issues. And we may have an opinion on something, but the real question is, what's the wisest way to walk right now and maybe express our viewpoint and maybe try to influence for good? But what's the shrewd way? <laughs> you know And this is what's so interesting in the example of Jesus. Um, you can see things in the Gospels that really move him deeply, but um, he seems to operate in a different way than, than merely a reactionary way. He seems to be going for the heart of the issue. Um, that's how I see his mission. It's not reactionary. It's he's going to go, go after the heart of things. Um, I don't know if I'm answering the question, but that's uh, what I'm intrigued with is the, is the possibilities uh, of responding to things that move us negatively or positively. And that's our freedom, Right. Uh, Victor Frankl's book really yeah, brings just, that out. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. You've been <laughs> well,
1: reading. Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, Tom, Tom finished reading. reading. I, I've only read 120 pages, but uh, I was struck again by the fact that here's somebody who's suffering and going through trials and yet is still talking about mastering the art of living. Yeah. And that it was the little choices that he made, um, that he wasn't obligated to kind of, uh, be in despair that he had a choice in the whole matter on how he was going to respond to different things and using humor and all sorts of different
2: humor was huge yeah. in the camps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like,
1: even if it was very tiny, but uh, yeah. to get a little chuckle or to use their imagination, Yeah. Um, you know, conversations with family members or whatever. But uh, I don't know if you had any uh, questions coming out of your reading of the book too, uh, Tom, or anything that you wanted to quiz Bob on, uh,
4: so this is more of a theological question that I've kind of been pondering for a while. Um, so Jesus' preparation in the desert once he was baptised, right, uh, had yeah, 40 days and 40 nights of being tempted by the devil, and then there's the Israelites wandering in the desert for right. 40 years. Why 40? Is there some sort of significance behind that? Uh, I'm just- yeah. I feel like there's more to it that I don't understand. I'm trying to dig into it a little yeah,
2: bit. yeah, there is there's always these numbers that are going on in the scripture, the sevens and the threes and the <laughs> and the twelves, right So forty basically is a generation or a fullness of of life. you know you can think of that sort of as a marker and um, and so Israel in the desert it's it's that first generation dies off. It's like the fullness of time. It's like the full generation, a full passing of of life. Uh, When Jesus enters into his 40, he's recapitulating Israel's experience. But where Israel failed, he succeeds, right? He's tested. uh, He's tested and he's proven uh, worthy. And the interesting thing about the the testing there is that uh, all of his replies to the tempter are out of the book of Deuteronomy, which is very interesting. So Deuteronomy is the fifth book of of Moses, right? And the final book in the wilderness wanderings. And so Jesus is responding with all the tools and resources that Israel had, uh, answering with no special ability other than the word of God and passing the test. So he is Israel's greatest son that succeeds where the nation had failed. So it's an echo, right? It's the Bible works this way, uh, literarily and, uh, cross-referencing itself. Uh, so he, he's succeeding where Israel failed and therefore he succeeds and proves himself worthy of the messianic identity completely. Not only because he, who he was by his, his own origin, but now in his own humanity, he is worthy. Right. So that's an interesting thing. And that goes to the heart of the inner life. You know, <laughs> that goes to the heart of the inner life. That this is, this goes to the heart of Jesus' uh, years of preparation. That now comes the crucial moment, you know. This is why I think sometimes we might dream of significant, doing significant things or having power or <laughs> leading a big organization or doing something special. And we have to say, are we ready for that? Is our character developed? Are we ready to assume that responsibility or that weight, whatever it is? And in the mercy of God, God has his ways of shaping us. And, you know, and sometimes God just says, wait a while. I want you to sort of, you know, this is time for your inner life. It's time for your character to develop.
1: Well, I think we've talked about this before. Four seconds seems like a long time (laughs) to leave a gap. And and he'd give... 40 days or yeah. 40 years. So it was a very different timeline. Yeah. And so I don't know, it'd be interesting hearing from the younger people when you're chomping at the bit to be an activist. <laughs> How do you process yeah, that
3: it? A, that was actually what the question um, we had come in here it was why do you think we are so quick to act and so slow to prepare and contemplate? Because I also personally know for me, um, feeling called but feeling like there's a waiting as well. And so how do you, I don't know, like I always think of David um, fighting off the lions and the bears in the the wilderness. And and how does that anointing um, kind of influence when you go and when you don't go? And and I know personally for me, I've been excited to go um, and wanting to go, but also feel like I have been preparing. Like, okay, I feel like my preparing is done now. (laughs) Um, but obviously it's, I don't know. There's lots to be lots to be prepared for. So I don't know. Yeah. Why do you think we're so quick to act and so slow to prepare and contemplate?
2: Well, I think we're quick to act because we're judging everything by the external.
4: Mm.
2: I think we validate ourselves and we validate each other by what we can see. So why I wanted to go there about the hidden things known and things hidden is what I called it is what Jesus is doing there in Luke six. And he does this Uh, Luke six is, is the equivalence in Luke's gospel of the sermon on the Mount. It's the sermon on the the plane or the level place, right? Uh, It functions that way in the gospel. Uh, But you have the same kind of messaging there in Luke six, as you do in Matthew five to seven, where Jesus in the sermon on the Mount is talking about, you know, the inner life, you know, (laughs) Uh, you know, Uh, you've heard it said you shouldn't hate your, you know, kill murder, but I'm telling you don't even hate, right? He's driving down into the heart. Uh, So this is the consistent message of Jesus. And well, I mean, think of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, when you give, don't announce it with trumpets, you know, Uh, he's talking about the inner and the secret and the hidden as incredibly valuable. So uh, I think this is where we talk about the audience of one, you know, doing it for God rather than what can be seen. So this is why we're anxious to, to to do some things we're looking for sometimes. I'm not saying this is universally so, but we evaluate ourselves, whether it's been noticed. I mean, aren't we conditioned this way in social media, whether we got likes whether we got noticed, whether it was seen, right? Um, one of the one of the little exercises I do in the spiritual formation course I I teach is to is, it's it's uh, uh, what I, I can't remember what I call it, but what I want people to do is something that is unseen, an unseen act of kindness, <laughs> something that nobody knows about. You know, you pick up some garbage or you you stop a you stop a uh, you know some uh, some. I don't know, piece of gossip or something. Nobody sees that, you only do it unto the Lord in a, in the secret of your own heart. I think that's really an important aspect of our character. And, you know, we always talk about this character is what you do when no one's around. Right. Um, So that, that sense where uh, I'm before an audience of one um, and that real sense of uh, this is, the development of my own heart and my worship to God and not for what I receive from people. Um, Now it's beautiful to have a thank you from someone or to do something, but if that is why we do it, then something is getting deformed in us and we'll, we'll do things out of the credit we can get. Right. So that's what Jesus is correcting in in Matthew six, actually public prayers, public giving, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah,
5: I guess more of an observation and wanting your thoughts on this observation. But I've noticed also in my own life and in a lot of the Christians around me that we don't necessarily do a whole lot of great inner work of um, praying and contemplation and meditation and just sitting with Jesus. Um, but I think we also tend to only put our outer life within the church context. And so maybe I'm thinking of outer as like maybe evangelism and reaching people who aren't Christians and stuff is even beyond the outer life of what we're talking about. But I find that at least in the Western society and culture, we get stuck in this, like, I'm not inner, but I'm not fully outer. I'm just like going to church and going to small group and like being in community, but not doing anything alone and not doing anything without Christians or with non-Christians, sorry. And so, I don't know. I just I struggle with that tension of the doing neither and being in this like awkward middle. <laughs> oh
2: world. yeah. huh. So it's not outer or inner. It's, it's something in some hybrid in between. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like we get to, we, we get stuck in the church. Yes, that's very true.
5: That like that's what I feel like I get, and what a lot of Christians around me get to. Yeah. We're just like we're all just here not alone together, but not
2: really doing the thing. See, this is teaching, though. I, I think why contemplating those parables is important is because it, what Jesus is doing is driving us down to examine our own hearts. The same kind of thing with the teaching of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, as most theologians will tell you, is not coextensive with church, Church is the expression of the kingdom, but it's not the sum total of the kingdom. So, to your point, to engage in the world in all kinds of fashions, we may be encountering and representing and discovering the kingdom of God at work that's quite apart from the church. It is where God's will is being done, where love is being expressed, where good deeds are being found, and where people, even outside of Christian faith, are actually representing something of the character of God. And so that's uh, a really important recognition, I would say, that can come out of an interior life where all of a sudden it can say, that's deeply good and I can see that. And what you're participating in is a beautiful expression of of God's uh, desire for the world, for goodness to be expressed, Mm -hmm. you see? And so I think interior life connects with that because it can see it. So to your point, it's not stuck in the middle of just going to church. It actually is uh, the overwhelming of an interior life that recognizes God wherever we might see God in the world, which might be a, quite a part at times from what we call church.
1: <laughs> and that might be very unnerving. Yeah. Like for people who've grown up in the church and need to have uh, some sort of affirmation that this is good kingdom stuff, like. Even this last week, uh, I had a friend uh, from India just say, I have to cook and I have to create. He says, It's good if I make it and I can eat it. But if I bring it and share it with you, I just feel like my joy is multiplied. And I just thought,
2: That's it. This
1: feels to me like, you know, uh, where where God tells them when they're in captivity or Babylon, saying, uh, You know, settle down, plant crops, pray for the peace. He was just to me expressing a very big, generous heart of God. To me and it was i just thought okay but is that really uh
2: <laughs> so the thing to say to someone like that is you're not far from the kingdom of god right
1: yeah and that's, in that's,
2: fact that's what i felt embodying and representing it was
1: very right now christians
2: would argue about that yeah um but i don't think the church <laughs> owns the kingdom the kingdom is bigger than the church yeah. the church is to represent the kingdom but the church doesn't own it or control it and yeah. we'll find it uh being exercised all over the place and in fact jesus has says that right uh he who's not against us is for us right
1: but like i said i think that is unnerving for us yeah it is yeah because it doesn't necessarily fall into our programs
2: yeah so uh you know the the idea then of what is king or or what is interior work and what is exterior work and how they relate together is a very good point and that's why we have to develop uh a greater sensitivity I think to the first part to being able to recognize so you recognize that something in you was alerted to that brother who came with that food right yeah yeah tom were you going to ask something yeah Yeah,
4: it was kind of following up on that idea of like the church kind of pointing towards the kingdom yeah being owning the kingdom do you think that all religions are doing that same thing of pointing to the kingdom but perhaps in different ways or because there are definitely kind of conflicts between different religions, and they seem to have different kind of cosmologies. Of
2: yeah, so religions are not saying all, all saying the same thing. Sometimes the different religions are talking about completely different categories, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing. So uh, I would recommend a book by Stephen Prothero, uh, who is not a Christian. Uh, I think he's a Jewish man, and the book was called God is not one. And he was saying there that let's not kid ourselves, the religions each uh, stand on their own and we're we're not saying the same things and we're not even agreeing on what the categories are. But after saying that, what I would say is we find echoes of God and of truth and of beauty uh, refracted all over the world in various ways. So to say, Uh, any particular religion might not have the truth. It doesn't mean there is no truth, right? There are elements or refractions of truth. Um, And and so it's a complicated and nuanced discussion. Um, And as big and as wide as humanity is, we have representations of God or truth or life in different ways. But here's what I think what a Christian would say but what about Jesus, <laughs> right? The Christian Church has a lot, made a lot of mistakes and and got things wrong. But where the church is at its best is it is presenting uh, the incarnation that God became one with us, right? And uh, and represents the true heart of God and the way to God. So and my then, answer and then to puts that, a
1: spirit in us, yeah,
2: and puts. His, there's lots to be said after yeah. that. But I, you see, I think there can be a dialogue uh, among the religions about uh, where the heart of truth is and, and what we're looking for. It's just an interesting thing that there are various religions that are not even agreeing on what the categories are. <laughs> so there's a lot of dialogue that has to cl- sort of clarify what is it we're talking about here. Um, but you can have many, many wonderful cross religious dialogues uh, that are fruitful and helpful to human flourishing. This is
3: in a similar line with that, but um, probably more within the Christian tradition, but whose teaching do we submit ourselves under to grow our interior life? There's so many teachings that keep us insulated from knowing how to be relevant in the real world and bringing truly um, Jesus to current issues. So I guess, yeah, who who do we listen to and how do we know?
2: Well, I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, there are the masters of the Christian faith. I mean, obviously, we start with Jesus, and we listen carefully. Uh, if, if we really did listen to the, God, to the parables, I think they have a way of opening up our hearts. I really do. If we let them, they're like bombs that explode within us, if you, if you let them. Um, there's sort of a standard list of, of teachers on the inner life. Uh, I don't know if you want a reading list or what, uh, there are those people that have certainly shaped my understanding of, of things. Like I just think about, you know, some modern, uh, helpful people like a Dallas Willard. If, if someone wants to track down Dallas Willard books and, uh, he was a philosopher, that's the interesting thing about him. Um, so he thought very, uh, he thought very differently than maybe a lot of spiritual teachers, but he was a very wise man. Uh, I mean, there's just so many, they're, they're all the masters of the spiritual life. Here's the thing. There are just so many faithful voices and listen to the voices that have carried on with, with some endurance through time. There are the trendy voices that come and go. Um, and then there are the enduring voices. Um, you know that that I would like to answer that question, sit with someone, and see what their reading comprehension is, uh, sort of where they like to start.
1: But I think what you said about uh, the enduring voice, because yeah. I think we want to say, "Oh, well, who's hot right now? Yeah. Who's uh, who's yeah. got the word for today?" Yeah. Sort of thing, or the worship song, or or whatever, right? We yeah. want to listen to uh, what's really current yeah. and relevant.
2: You, you know what the key to uh, understanding? I think Jesus would well Jesus did teach this is to do what Jesus says <laughs> and then let that open you up so uh you know Jesus does this a lot uh you know he offers the meal the, the last supper do this right or when he's teaching on prayer prayer when you pray say so so it's very like here's how you swing a golf club here's you know put your hands on the keyboard and here's middle c you know and go like this there's very much uh if you will do this you will know the truth of his teaching and i think it starts with things very simply like uh when you pray or um or forgive right and and what we start to learn about jesus teaching is is not simply the always trying to figure out the content of it, but just follow in the heart of the action of it. Okay. So now we're talking action, but the action is an action that forms our interior life. So if we, if we do what Jesus tells us to do, I think we, it starts to open up, right. And we start to discover the heart and the inner meaning of it. Um, but I, so obedience is related to the understanding of hearing I think our English word obedience comes from the French word, which means to hear or listen. Um, and so when we really hear what he's saying and then act on it, this is, this is how we enter into the significance and meaning and heart of it all. But that's really the critical ingredient is we we're always assessing and saying, uh, oh, I don't know. Is that really the way? I don't think that's practical, that kind of thing. But if we just act on what Jesus says, I think we find out the, the truth of his words. And that he says that. We, we learn to pray by praying. We, we learn the glory of silence by entering silence. Yeah. We learn, we learn these things through experience. But you know what I feel like? And I was, when I was driving over tonight, I was thinking... You know what's really great is like to take a weekend, to be on a retreat, and to be able together in be together in immersive context. So what I feel is a lot of our spiritual life is a flyby thing mm. where, hey, think of this and bye, and off we go. And I think the way of Jesus was more of an immersive context. We're gonna hang out for a few years.
4: Mm.
2: We're gonna have times around the fire. We're gonna walk along the seashore. We're gonna do things. And we're going to be together, yeah. and it's the immersive environment that I think is almost—I would say—it's absolutely necessary for genuine discipleship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and that's why I think that one of the first ingredients is is a missionary experience or some, you know, a mission experience where you're with people for a while. At least it's a weekend retreat or something, right?
1: Well, we'll try and do both in this next year. <laughs> do some retreats together yeah. so we can actually, you know, yeah, can rub up against each other and, yeah. Also on our, when we do our service learning projects, we talk about those who sweat together, stick together, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. (laughs) When you're living and serving (laughs) and
1: sleeping and eating. Um, Yeah. um, Just a little bit different angle. I've been wondering about when you're talking about character issues, I think I read something about St. Anthony sometime in the last week or two. And I was very curious where he was like in the desert for 20 years or 40 Mm -hmm. years. And then he goes back into society and he's, you know, the princes and everybody's wanting his ear because he's got this depth to him and they recognize it. Yes. But then afterwards he retreats again and he doesn't like, so he seems, I don't know the full story. So it almost was something like, I need to read some more about this fellow St. Anthony, but there's something there where he didn't allow the power, the voice that he had to corrupt him.
2: Isn't that something
1: like now I just, has there been a Christian political uh, country or anything like that that's handled power well? Uh, we we recognize people who have power in their ministry sometimes fizzle out and burn out or flame out. Can you just speak to the whole thing about um, use of power and, yeah. and how we handle that and, and the interior life going into that, but then also how to...
2: Well, I, I, so, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And I would just say, let's not chase the celebrities. Let's look for the hidden people that are people of quality and character that are not on the stage. Mm. I just wish we would have that way of redirecting the spotlight mm. or turning down or turning the spotlight off. Mm. Because there are saints and there are people of value and character dispersed mm. throughout our churches and our Christian communities. Mm-hmm. Saddle up to them. Um, but you know, that's the question though, who are the people that we could saddle up next to, right? Um, I, I, I realized that in my life that there were celebrities, but they, they really didn't have a capacity for me. I had to sort of, and I pursued people that I wanted to talk to and we look for those people who have an open space in their life and, uh, and, and maybe aren't on the stage, but here's the point though. Uh, I don't think celebrity equals a spiritual weight or character. Yeah. So we have to, we maybe this is what God is doing in our time, turning all that actual, you know, sort of way of being upside down and exposing it for what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what we have put on the stage is talent, mm-hmm. but we haven't had spiritual depth. Mm-hmm.
1: I have a great story about that, actually. Oh, yeah. uh, a lady who's uh, 40 years older than I, I haven't talked to her in the last couple of years, but uh, so I'm not even sure. She was mother superior of a convent out in Ottawa. But yeah. when she was in Calgary here, uh, we would have tea every day during the summer and we just learned so much from each other. And I think she was very affirming and gracious with me, but I learned a lot from her. But I was always really intrigued when we did these relationship seminars, oh, yeah. and kind of marriage prep. Here's a woman who had never been married. It yeah. was, you know... Quite a bit older than uh these young people that we were talking with. But when she spoke about the relational life, uh a man with a woman and just people together would just like lean yeah, in. And yeah. it was just I was just so I was just going, I want to hang out with her more because yeah. there was an authority yes. that came, right? And it was yes. and, but she wasn't uh, flashy by any means. No, but she was uh carried some weight there, I guess. Yes. So I think. But how do we encourage young people to to say, well, don't just only look to the people who are in the, you know, multi-talented and uh, have the spotlight right now.
2: I don't know Uh, how how we do it. Maybe it's
1: also people who, you know, are in their 60s and 70s. How do we get them to say, hey, listen, your job is not done yet. You have to steward. You have to help disciple uh, your grandkids or great-grandkids.
2: Well, that's the need. Yeah. The need is for substance. The Mm. need is for substance. And and the need is for uh, whoever has something to share to be willing to share it. Mm. And for those who are looking for for substance to know where to look.
3: Mm. On that question, it's like, well, how do we find those people? And then do you then throw them on the stage? (laughs) And
2: then what happens then?
3: Yeah. And so, like, shouldn't we be listening to those people so they should be getting more voices and like. Um, it, it's fine
2: to right? be on this. It's fine to be on the stage. I don't think, I, I think we can be on the stage too early. And so there are people who are, are enabled to take the stage. You know, the people that I really admire to someone like Corey Ten Boom, that a lot of this generation wouldn't know about her. Uh, she became a very public Christian. One of the most famous Christians in the world in the seventies and eighties. Uh, but her preparation was unbelievable. She went through, you know, she was arrested for her family hiding Jewish people in her home in, in World War II in, in Amsterdam and then went through the prison camps and then a long development. So by the time she became a public Christian, she had had long, a long preparation and she could handle that really well. There are people who can handle that really well. I would just say it's hard to handle it well but let's, let's look for the people. It's not about being public or not public because Jesus was public, wasn't he? But it was a legitimate public. So that's the point. I'm not negating that. I'm saying that the preparation matters to that. The foundation has to be sufficient to (laughs) what shows. And and, and to the point about mission as activity, if mission is activity and the foundation isn't there, the preparation, the character, the inner heart's not there, then it just undoes so much. I mean, the, the, the hurt and the disappointment that have come in the church because of insufficient character is huge. And this is what we're going through right now. Um, but, you know, the way the early church developed was slow and patient. And so we have to be slow and patient. Um, my hope is for this generation to somehow begin to walk in another way. If we go through a pandemic and, and now it looks like we might have a war and we don't know where that's, but we do have a war. We don't know how that's going to affect the future. Perhaps we're getting us a big dose of soberness and to realize both the, you know, the state of the world and what it requires of us to really be saints. You know, this is a quote, actually. Uh, In Thomas Merton's life, Uh, Thomas Merton um, was a very famous writer, spiritual writer in the mid mid part of the 20th century. But he said that he was walking with his friend one time uh, along and he Thomas Merton wanted to be a writer. And his friend said, well, you know, the really only worthwhile ambition in life is to be a saint. (laughs) And it just struck him. Whoa. The only real worthwhile ambition is to be a saint. Mm. See, that hasn't been held up before our eyes Mm. as a worthwhile ambition. When Paul says, I want to know Christ Mm. in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, right? Mm. And he he wants to know the full gamut of the divine life. Mm. This is his um, holy ambition. Uh, What does that require? (laughs) <laughs> what does that cost why is it worth it right uh that has to be held up before our eyes as something worthwhile to pursue and it's a long it's a long obedience in the same direction right but what a glorious life to live you know so that has to be inspired in our imaginations we have to be able to see it uh t- tangibly um yeah there's lots to say about that but
3: yeah i would like you to say more because when you say the only worthwhile pursuit is to be a saint everything in me said like everything that i've been taught ever feels like no there's so much more like there's so much serving there's so much like
2: but what um, is a saint to you though yeah
3: that's i mean i i think yeah i'm just being challenged by that and i think i want you to
2: so so i know the story so i studied ignatius of loyola and i've studied him uh, Ignatius of Loyola had this this view to be uh so he comes out of the middle ages and the chivalrous knight and the idea of the 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 man of you know the lady's man and the soldier this is the image held up for him and then he he gets his leg severely wounded by a cannon blast cannonball hits his leg it's i mean we're talking about before modern anesthetics and all this kind of stuff and surgery, so you can imagine how horrible this thing. And in his recuperation, he starts to read. He reads about he reads the story of Jesus, and he reads the life of the saints. These two books. These are early medieval works, and um, and he imagines. He says, "If I whoa, I never had that picture before of living that kind of life. But maybe if I live like these people, I could become like them." So what's held before his mind is an imagination of being a different kind of person. At first, his only imagination is the, is the soldier and the, the man of the world, right? That's caps. that's, that's like occupying the space in his mind. And now he sees what the life of Jesus as reflected in his people could be like, and it's so diverse, right? Mm-hmm. This is what is often said that all the great tyrants and evil in history are boringly the same and all the saints are unique one-of-a-kind persons who Mm. shine brilliantly in their individuality that's good and what was held before ignatius is the possibility of actually entering into his own unique personhood Mm. which then becomes your mission you see the our mission is for our own self to be to be really discovered. We, this is the paradox. We lay down our lives before Jesus only to find that we are given back ourselves Mm -hmm. in our own unique contribution to the world. Mm -hmm. And I think the greatest tragedy then is we never actually entered into our own, into our own life.
1: Well, you gave the quote before about Zuzia. Zuzia, yeah. Yeah. Whatever his name is. Yeah. But uh, do you guys remember that one where uh, he comes to the end of his life and he's thinks that he, when he goes before God, that God isn't going to say,
2: why were you not Moses?
1: Why were you not? He's not going to say that. He's going to say, why were you not Tom? Why were you not Olivia?
2: Why were you uh, not yourself?
1: Something. And so, yeah, may God fire our imaginations to how we can be obedient and faithful to our own little quirky ways, right? That God wants us to express a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, Our mission is
2: really to enter into our whole, our own unique humanity. Yeah. And that then opens up our doing and our acting, because my mission is not to be a copy of anybody else. I'm to be uniquely myself. Mm -hmm. And and that's what every young person is to to be. Uh, And that is discovered in an interior life with God. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we become, you know, Jesus said, you know, the Pharisees cross heaven and earth to make a disciple of themselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And here's what I always say about the spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is the process by which we become more like Jesus and more uniquely our own self. So our movement to being images of Jesus does not conform us to each other. It allows us to shine more brilliantly uniquely as individuals. And this is this is to the glory of God mm-hmm. and this is our mission in the world. Mm-hmm. And that means we will be able to address every thing that is necessary in the world because we'll have teachers and we'll have whatever it is. We'll have what the world needs because we'll, we'll have come alive in our own humanity.
1: Yeah. Last question. Yeah.
3: Um, I think just to do with Lent, I feel like I'm curious about this whole idea of uncovering um, something and how that is done through kind of suffering or it's done through the hardship and I don't know I guess I'm also just like very kind of uneducated about Lent and like how we can engage in this freedom as well as in this uncovering in this time of
2: Lent so uh these ancient more ancient or older practices in the Christian church that um you know a certain said a certain part of the church is always held on to and other parts of the church sort of gave up as old and irrelevant, uh, but we're I think. We're tending to come back to those things and saying, what's the wisdom in not only uh, an event, but a season?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So think seasonally. Um, if, if Easter is set in our calendar by the lunar cycle <laughs> uh, as a day in spring now where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, which is a beautiful remembrance of the center of God's saving work in the world. Um, we shouldn't just use that as a holiday weekend to get away. (laughs) As Christians, we ought to really try to enter into the significance of that day. And that's why I think the practice of Lent is a beautiful practice of preparing our hearts, uh, journeying towards the holy moment, and, and so that we can enter into it in a more significant way. So there's lots of aspects of Lent. There's the aspect of giving something up. That's a deep wisdom. We understand this from physical training to if you're preparing for a sports event, you train for it, right? Um, it, it might be that. For, for some of us, it's that. We have to understand what that means and how that works. Um, and that would be a little bit of teaching maybe why we might do that. But I would say at the very least, Lent should be a season of preparation and of looking ahead And of so, I I like to lead people in a simple daily biblical reflection. That's why this this little guide let's move towards Easter with intention and pray towards Easter that God would reveal himself through the glorious gift of Christ, atoning death and, and conquering of death. Let's do this in a way that's purposeful and intentional. And what we discover along the way then in that season is, is the gifts of discovery and what Jesus would say to us. Um, this is how the Gospels actually are structured. The Gospels are structured, as, as some theologians have said, is the the crucifixion and resurrection with a long introduction. <laughs> you know, you take Mark's Gospel, uh, you're, you're entering into it two-thirds of the way through. But in John's Gospel, it's about halfway through. Halfway through John's gospel, you're coming to the final days of Jesus. So the focus in the Gospels are on the final week of Jesus. And the other material is introducing or leading us there. That's our deepest reflection. So if that's the way the gospels are, are are constructed, I think it would be smart for us to have a season in our Christian year where we're very, very much focused in on that aspect of Jesus and follow him as his disciples. So this guide actually is uh, about uh, being on the road with Jesus. So there's what's called the road section of Luke's gospel starts in chapter nine and goes through Luke 19 until he arrives at the city. And so this, this uh, reading is on the road with Jesus as we make our way towards Jerusalem.